It seems all of us has something that's more important that we value maybe above other things. And you can often tell what's most valuable by how that person reacts when it is threatened. When I was preaching in New Mexico, I had a good friend of mine named Bill, and, and Bill had this really nice silver Mercedes SUV, and that was Bill's baby. I mean, Bill was one of these guys that made sure it was always in pristine condition. No one was allowed to eat or drink in his vehicle. He was very particular about how that vehicle was handled. So I was quite amazed when we had a visiting preacher come to our church, and uh, Bill and his wife needed to get to church a little early, and the preacher wanted to stay back just a bit and um, do some more work on his message, kind of get his thoughts together. And, and he said, he, Bill said to the visiting preacher, here, you can have the keys, uh, take my car, I'll go with my wife, I'll go in her car, uh, and you can come a little later. And he gave Bill some pretty explicit instructions, where to park, you know, how to drive it, how to handle it, this and that. And so a few minutes later, or a few, 30 minutes later, when he arrived at church, the visiting preacher comes to me, and he says, watch this, I'm going to play a little bit with Bill. And I'm thinking to myself, Bill probably doesn't have a lot of humor with regard to his car. And so he hands the keys to Bill, and he said, uh, Bill said, how'd it go? And uh, visiting preacher said, uh, pretty good. Uh, he said, but I must tell you, I, I stopped down the street to get a cup of coffee at a little quick mart, and I put the coffee in the car in the console and when I was pulling into the parking lot would you believe a guy in front of me quick, quickly stopped he said I came back close to hitting him he said but I didn't Bill said that's that's good and then he said and then he said but you know when I stopped so quickly the coffee in the console well, it spilled all over the floorboard he said but I got some napkins and I think I got most of it up and as, as, my, as my friend is telling the story to Bill, you can see Bill's eyes getting, getting bigger. I mean, Bill's imagining his car will never be the same. His car will never smell the same. Forever it will smell like Folger's coffee. And so, you know, as he's telling this story, I'm just looking at, at Bill's, Bill's reaction. And, and then my friend looked at him and said, oh, I'm just kidding. And for some reason, Bill didn't think all, that was all that funny. Why is that? Because Bill valued that vehicle he valued that car what is it that you value above everything else maybe it's a relationship uh, maybe it is a vehicle maybe it is a possession i don't know what it is for you but everybody really treasures and cares for and values something well this morning in that passage of scripture a couple of verses below where dr jimmy read there's this, this phrase that's used, uh, that Jesus quotes. He, Jesus says, tells us about something that is so valuable that if we lose it, even if we gain the entire world, it's nothing in comparison. That thing that's so valuable that Jesus is talking about is, of course, our souls. Something that you can't see, something that you can't measure, and yet it's of immense worth. Here's how Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 16. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You see, you really haven't gained anything if you have the entire world 
and yet you forfeit your soul. And then he continues. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? Now, that's an interesting question. What would you exchange? What would you give in exchange for your soul? What's so important that you would sell your soul for it? And so today we begin a brand new five-week series where we're going to ask that question, how's your soul? Now, we just sang that song, and we sang it with a lot of gusto, and we like that old song that says, it is well with your soul. We sang that. But the question is, how do you really know when your soul is doing well? And that's what we're going to consider for these next few weeks. Now, I think the world has largely replaced the word soul with the word self. And quite frankly, they're not exactly the same thing. Now, there is a connection, but there's a difference. When we talk about ourselves, most often we're talking about the outer person. Most often when we talk about the self, we're not talking about ourselves in connection to God, but rather we're, we're talking about just ourselves alone. You see, the more we focus on ourselves, the more we tend to neglect our souls. And we're part of a culture that will gladly encourage you to do this. It's almost like in this culture, we're obsessed with self. We're confused, and so we say, well, I just need to find myself. But notice in this passage, Jesus says this. He says, "For whoever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you focus on yourself, if you try to protect the self, if you try to save the self, you will, in the end, lose it. You will lose the very thing you're so desperately trying to save. But on the other hand, Jesus says, if you lose your life in me, if you lose your life for me, living like me, ironically, it's then that you find yourself. But instead of focusing us on our, ourselves, the Bible, as we read it, it, it helps us to focus on God. And when we do this, we'll have a deep interest in the soul. Now, there's a little verse tucked away in your Bibles in 3 John verse 3. We don't read 3 John a lot, and if we're not careful, we'll miss this little verse, but it's, it's so important. John is writing to his dear friend Gaius. He's writing to encourage him. And he says this, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that it may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. <clears throat> now, I, I like that verse. That's not a bad prayer for us. It's good to pray uh, that, that we enjoy good health. It's good to pray that things are going well with you. But notice he says, even as your soul is getting along well. <clears throat> so the question naturally arises for me, what does it mean that our souls are getting along well? Well, we're good at giving attention to our physical bodies, aren't we? We make sure we get annual checkups and we see the doctor regularly. We make sure we see the dentist and we even tell the doctor that we, we floss and then we 
pray about it later because we've actually lied to him in that dental appointment. We do all sorts of things. We join health clubs. We go to hot yoga classes. My wife gets up at 4.30 a.m. to go to hot yoga, and she even tries to convince herself that she likes it. We do all sorts of things to take care of this body. We make sure we have healthy bodies, healthy families, healthy finances. What about healthy souls? And so what is the soul in the first place? Well, I've already hinted at the answer in this message. This week as I was preparing for this sermon, I came to see that, that the words soul and spirit, <clears throat> sometimes in Scripture they're used synonymously. Sometimes there's a difference in your Bible between soul and spirit. I like how Judah Smith defines soul. He, he says it's the inside you. And we kind of get this this idea uh, from David in the Psalms. In Psalm 103, verse 1, David writes, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. According to David, what is the soul? Well, it's our inmost being. It's the internal and eternal part of you. It's the inner me, the real me, the invisible me that transcends the physical me. John Ortberg describes it as the deepest part of us. But it's also more than that. It's also this sense that it's the deepest part of us that affects all of us. How many of you know what SOS stands for? Uh, some of you that are familiar with Morse code, you know that it's the signal, uh, the distress signal. Uh, and, and it's, you know, when you're in, in distress and you want other people to know about it, you know, you put, you, you tap out SOS. But how many of you know what the words S or the letters SOS stand for? The letters stand for save our souls. Now, when you're tapping out SOS, save our souls, you're not saying I'm in need of revival. You know, what you're saying, please save me, save all of me is what you're saying. And so as we think about the soul, let's go back to the garden for just a minute. In this message series, we're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, where the writer says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I love how this verse helps us to see that we are both, on the one hand, frail. I mean, we're created from the dust of the earth, from mud, from dirt. But we're also gloriously empowered by God. Because God breathes into us His very breath. And when God breathed into us His breath, it's then that we become a living soul, not before. Think of it like this, God forms man and gives him a body. And then God breathes his breath into that body and it's at that point that he becomes a living being. You see, my outside is not what makes me a living creature. My soul is what makes me truly alive. And so then there's this deep connection between the soul and the breath of God. Judah Smith in his book puts it like this, 
He says, if God's breath created our souls, then whenever we breathe or speak or sing, we do so because of God's life has given life to our souls. Our souls come from, depend on, and long for God. But here's the mistake we often make. We, we think if everything on the outside is going well, then we must be thriving. And so as I like to say, we come to church, this fellowship of the fine, and it looks like everything is going well on the outside, but that might not be the best indicator. John Orberg tells a story about the time he moved to preach for this well-known church. Some of you may have heard about it. It's called the Willow Creek Community Church. He moved to Chicago. He's preaching for this church. And as he's describing the church, he said, he said, there are more people on staff at this church than were members of my previous church. And he said, everything on the outside looked great. He said, I'm preaching for this large and prestigious church. He said, suddenly I'm getting invitations to go places that I never thought I could go. Suddenly people are, are listening to the things that I say. There are people who think I'm actually smarter than I am because I have the opportunity to preach in front of such a large gathering of people. He said his outer world was larger and busier and more complex than it had ever been. His outer world had grown, and yet Ortberg says this, my inner world had not his inner world. It's where his secrets and thoughts and hopes and wishes lived. And because the inner world is secret, it's very easy to neglect that part of our lives. He made the mistake of assuming that if the outer world looked great, then the inner world was thriving, but he was deeply, as I said, he was deeply mistaken. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the soul for two reasons. One, because we said it's easy to neglect that inner part of us. We spend so much time thinking about the outer, it's very easy to neglect it. But the other reason we're going to talk about the soul is because it's so valuable. It's so important. And I want to suggest the soul is so valuable because it's, it's central to who we are. It's the most important part of us. It's the central operating system of our lives. It's the authentic you. And so as I said, we often make the mistake of thinking real growth and transformation comes from the outside in. And we think if we make changes to our circumstances, if we change our outer life, it will transform our inner life. But you see, it doesn't work that way. It's in fact the opposite. Real growth and transformation occurs from the inside out. And when our inner life begins to change, that will affect our outer life. But the outer world, it, it screams for our attention. And our private world is often cheated to our own detriment so if we're not careful we end up exchanging or selling our very souls for what in the end we will find is utterly worthless well it's also important that, to talk about the soul because the soul is fragile the soul is easily wounded 
the writer of Psalms, and I love this about David and the other writers of the Psalms, they're constantly having this dialogue with themselves. If you thought you were crazy because sometimes you talk to yourself, you're in good company because we find that occurring in the Psalms. And so you have passages like this. It's Psalm 42, verse 11. David says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? David's asking him, himself that question. He's looking deeply into his heart. He's asking himself, why is my soul, why is it churning? Why is it disturbed? And then he tells himself this, which is great advice in the next part of the verse. He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Our souls get discouraged and hurt and defensive. And it's then that we need to put our hopes in God. So because the soul is fragile, it needs to be tended and cared for and nurtured. But ultimately, the soul is so important because, brothers and sisters, the soul is eternal. Jesus once said this, and it's a pretty stark word from Jesus. <clears throat> he said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, often we think of Jesus only saying things like, don't be afraid, fear not. And, and we know in the New Testament and in your Bible, as I've said in other messages, <clears throat> that is the most often commanded phrase, don't be afraid. But here Jesus is saying, you should be afraid of something. Why did he say that? He's saying that because what Jesus talking, is talking about is so important. He's saying that because the stakes are so high. We know the body ages and wears out. <clears throat> but our soul, our soul's eternal. That's the part of us that lasts forever. And the truth of the matter is how you live. What, what road you take will determine the ultimate destination for your soul. And if you choose to live in, in deliberate, willful disobedience to God and to God's ways, well, God will honor your decision. One of the things the Lord has done is he's planted a cross. He's planted a cross between us and an eternal destiny, a destiny without him. And you can, if you wish, walk around that cross and choose your own sense of destiny. If you neglect your soul, Jesus says it will eventually be destroyed by being completely separate from God. And if you want a pretty good definition of hell, it's that. Ultimate separation from God. Because when we're in the presence of God, that's where we find life and hope and meaning. And so Jesus says, you need to protect your soul, guard your soul, nourish your soul. This is so important, this, this matter of what the soul is. This series is so significant because the soul is central, the soul is fragile, but the soul is ultimately eternal. So we conclude today with a question that we began at the very beginning. 
So how's your soul? If your soul is going to thrive, and, and that's what your soul was created to do. If your soul is going to thrive, it needs four things. Would you like to know what those four things are? You probably would, wouldn't you? Well, you got to come back next week to hear the first one. There are four things. Next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about the very first thing that your soul needs to thrive. But let me just summarize it by saying this. Ultimately, your soul thrives when it's with God. Your soul thrives when it finds its home in God. For every one of us, and I believe God has put, as the Ecclesiastes writer says, he's put eternity in our hearts. Every one of us longs to be back home with God. That's where your soul thrives. Some of you come here today, and you might find a discontent in the deepest part of you. Your, your soul, you, there's a dis-ease there. I want to tell you, the answer is being at home God, God invites all of us to live with him. God invites all of us to be with him. And maybe today your first step in learning to really thrive is taking a step of faith, is taking a step that says, I'm going to embrace Jesus. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to find life in him.